Welcome to the EA Church Podcast. If this ministry has touched your life or you're in need of spiritual support, please let us know by emailing prayer at effinghamassembly.org. If you would like to support our ministry, visit effinghamassembly.org forward slash giving and choose a donation option that's best for you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, well, this morning um, I'm doing a single sermon calling it 2020, Proclaiming the Hope of Glory. You know, the past Christmas season, we've talked about hopeful expectation and the Advent season and the hope that they had of what Christ would do and what he would bring. And this morning, we're going to talk about that hope of glory. So turn with me in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through um, chapter 2. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 27, reading through verse 4 of chapter 2. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, for the hope of glory, which is Christ in us. I pray this morning we let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're not only approaching a new year, we're approaching a new decade. Isn't that crazy? And it's interesting how the you know the number goes from you know nine to zero and we're, we we measure things in life in decades and in 2020 i turned 40 turned 40 <laughs> so my age changed <laughs> some some would say that that's old if you're young and some would say if you're older than me that that's young isn't that crazy how that is there's the old saying of how time flies, and I think it does. And there's the other song that, there's another song that has the words, time is slipping away, tick, tick, ticking away. And uh, we ask ourselves a lot of times, where did that time go? And uh, many of us, uh, even though I'm younger, but the older you get, you feel like time passes quicker the older you get. And I did a little bit of research because I like to do that. According to psychologist and BBC columnist Claudia Hammond says this, the sensation that time speeds up as you get older is one of the biggest mysteries of the experience of time. And they quote that in 2005 there was a study done and the participants ranged from 14 to 94 and they had a research uh, based on the pace of what they felt time moving from very slow to very fast. 
And for shorter durations of time, like a week, a month, or a year, the perception of time didn't seem to increase with age. Most participants felt like the clock ticked, ticked quickly. But for longer durations, as a decade, a pattern emerged that older, tended, older people tended to perceive that it was moving faster than others. And when they were asked to reflect on their lives, the participants older than 40 felt that time lapsed slowly in their childhood and it's picked up through their teenage years into early adulthood. And there's good reasons why we feel that way. There's two different perspectives that happens. A prospect advantage that happens while something is happening, so as time is moving, and then a retrospective one, and that's where we look at back at time that has passed. And you know, in it also varies with whatever we're doing and how we feel about that time, which is interesting. And it's true that time does fly when we're having fun. And there's a reason, because our brain encodes new experiences, but not familiar ones, into memory. Our retrospective judgment of time is based on how new memories are formed over a certain period of time. In other words, the more new memories we build on a weekend getaway, the longer that trip will seem in hindsight. And they call this the holiday paradox, which does seem to happen that as we do new things, time passes quicker. And we have uh, things that occur. And then also, uh, from childhood to early adulthood, we're gaining new skills and those things. And as, then the older we get, we actually, when we're looking back and we're not gaining as much, um, there's the reflection that seems that has lasted longer. So something that is, uh, when you're going it through a childhood, you're, you're gaining new experiences and those things. And so... Uh, time can be slowing down and actually then when you're older you think of things longer than they really occurred and so therefore time keeps going faster but we need to keep active our brain by exploring new things and having new things and our spirit needs to be a part of that our spirit needs to see new things happen to grow in new things and be a part of new things and that's what to talk about as we step into this new decade that this 2020 hope of glory is not just a single sermon for launching us into a new year but it's a thought of a new decade in proclaiming the hope of glory verse 27 to them god chose to make known how great among the gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is christ in you the hope of glory Paul was commissioned earlier on to preach, to present the word of God in his fullness. The reality of this importance is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which scholars have said is one of Paul's best Christological utterances, simple in its formation, yet profound in its implication. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's ministry, when we look at it, from the letters that he's written and written a good portion of the New Testament, his ministry was focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was Christ who radically changed his life on the road to Damascus. You see, he was serving God, 
and serving God in the way he thought was best, but it wasn't the right way. The one that of whom he was persecuting the people for is the one who wanted to become his savior and became that. And with that, his identification with his ministry was all that. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Counts everything to have Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul counted everything for the loss, for the for knowing Christ. Philippians 3.8 Christ in you refers to the saints, the believers. He's writing to, at that moment, this church, and you and I and those yet to come. God's chosen to reveal himself to those who believe. With Christ now is the Gentiles. Christ came. He lived as a babe. He was hope for not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. The good news for all the people. Not just an exclusive group of people, but for all people. This was revealed back in Isaiah 49.6 that salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. He accomplished the crucified Messiah. Paul would carry this message as the apostle to the Gentiles. He's referred to several places in Acts and Galatians and Ephesians. And Jews and Gentiles are part of this context. Believers are made up of mostly at this church that he's writing to this letter. The statements of Christ in you was something of being very bold. It's not Christ is among you or Christ is with you, but he's in you. There's something that was revolutionary that he lived, died, and now resides within us. Not just something that's far off, but he's within us. We know this from his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Christ is our hope right now. 1 Timothy 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of our God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, and this to come, Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. That glory, the hope of the glory of God, the glory that is yet to be to come. There's a story of, of a gentleman named Captain Regiland Wallace he was, had a strong ministry in the United Kingdom and it also touched across the Atlantic. And he had a lot of work with youth and old, and uh, he used to do this. He used to define the word Christian as this. He would spell out the word Christian, and then he would rearrange it that a Christ in a Christian is a man or a woman who has Christ within us. When we work at the, look at the word Christ, we can move that around and say, a Christ in. It's revolutionary. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is something Paul gave 
as a bold witness. It was paradoxical. It was revolutionary, but it was something that he carried within him. But Jesus said this in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The world needs to see more of Christ in us than us in us. When we believe in Jesus, Christ comes to fill us, but we still can be full of ourselves. And there's something that we have to continually do in our lives so Christ can fully be within us. Because we have a choice and what goes on in and through us. Christ does reside in us, but we have an opportunity to decide how much of that exudes from us. John 3.30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. We got to get out of the way of ourselves and our lives and let Christ fully dwell within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But what happens is, is we like to get so full of us. We like to get so full of what we think is the best, what we think is the right way, what we want to do. But Christ in us wants to have full, complete control of us. What we do, what we say, where we go, and how we are a part of society. We've got to get out of the way to let Christ be in us. Christ is the hope of glory. This is the reality of what's to be. Colossians 1.12, the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. The glory is also associated with the power and the presence of God and the future glory to be. Colossians 3.4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We can experience the glory of God here, but there's a greater glory that life is all about for the believer. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get to be a participant not only in the glory of God here, but the glory of God forever. If you're not a believer this morning, you can become a believer to experience that today. Romans 5, 1, 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Christ in you. The hope of glory. We are to proclaim this. That's what we're supposed to do with it. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul talks about how he does this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those he's not yet to meet. And he talks about what he wants to see happen in their lives. And he concludes with this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. This word mean, to mature means complete. The NIV, the NIV uses the word perfect, and it talks about the presentation of the believers before 
God in his sight at the, when we face him. Paul talks about this effort to warn and teach everyone with wisdom about the hope of glory. And the final result, results are we stand before God. And we're perfect and mature in him because of what he's done through us. And then Paul talks about this hard work. This hard work to proclaim this, to seeing people come to know Christ and be mature. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. He, take note, he uses these words toil, and he uses words struggle. Toil can be translated to labor, hard physical labor. It's a word he uses with the hardworking farmer in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. There's hard work, there's labor that Paul's doing. There's hard work that we got to be now part of to see believers come to know Christ. There's toil. Now there's struggle. It's associated with engagement in athletic or military conquests. There's a struggle. And that, then it's magnified with the words, how great. This isn't any struggle. It's a great struggle that he has for people that he knows about and people he's never, ever met and people yet to come. And that's the same thing for you and I, for us with the Christ in you, the hope of glory that we proclaim, the toil and struggle that we have to endure to see people come know Christ. Colossians 1.29 But there's a way that happens with all His energy meaning Christ, that powerfully works within me. James 5.16, the prayer of the righteous person has great power at, his, at it is working. Ephesians 1.19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. All this so what? Their hearts could be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. I'm not covering these today, but these are things that we're going to be pursuing not only this year, but this decade, that the encouragement of hearts in the believers, unity and love being knit together, and having the full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of Christ. And he concludes with this. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Time right now is running rampant with people that are mixing the things of God with the things of the devil. There are worldly teachers that present themselves as pastors, teachers, ministers, apostles, prophets that are mixing the things of God with the things of this world and the things of this devil. We have to be made aware of the reality and the truth of God's word and his power so we may not be deluded with plausible arguments. Scripture talks about as time progresses, as, as we look forward to the return of Christ, that more false prophets, more false teachers are going to appear. They're going to do signs and wonders. They're going to do things that are associated with Pentecostals and Charismatics. But we got to know God's word. We got to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. We got to have that in us so we can proclaim it. So we can stand against it. So we can help others. So we can move forward in the truth of what God 
has. As your pastor, I labor, I toil at this. It grieves me when there's so much stuff running rampant because you can pick it up real quickly. You can pick it up on Audible. You can get a book on Amazon. You can get a book on your Kindle or your Nook or your other electronic devices to get there's st- you can go to blogs you can go to websites there's stuff running rampant people believe fake news on facebook as its truth we have no understanding and concept i'm concerned as your pastor and i will labor and i will toil and i will have a struggle to make sure what's preached from this pulpit is the truth and you are equipped with what you need but then we have a choice too in our part our part to listen, our part to be participants, and our parts to spend our alone time with God in our prayer closets and study of His Word and community of believers because I can only do so much and then you have to be able to take it and run with it. We got to know this stuff so we can guard our hearts, guard our families, guard our lives. The hope of glory in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community. The hope of glory, what's that mean? Well, this morning, if you're not a believer, you don't have the hope of glory. But the good news is, is this morning, you can come awakened to that. You have an opportunity to, to come alive with Christ. You have an opportunity to accept His grace and His mercy. To feel the love and the encouragement, the peace that passes all understanding. The love, the grace for that. This morning... As I, was writing, as, as I was writing my sermon, the Lord just has a direct word for those this morning that maybe you're in this place and you've, maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel. Maybe this is, you've been in this place before. Maybe you've heard the gospel presented throughout your life. There's a couple places. Number one, you've never heard Jesus, but number two, you have once experienced that. You once were a believer, but you know this morning you're running from God. You know you're lukewarm. Or you may be those that are playing church. But God wants this morning directly say to you, stop playing games. Don't delay. Salvation is today. Salvation today. Stop playing games. There's a moment when it all ends. Death has no respecter of persons. And when it's all said and done, it's it. We have no other hope. We can't, we can't, there's no praying each other into heaven once we're done here on earth that's it there's final there's no other hope but you have the hope of glory today that jesus loves you jesus died for you jesus has a plan for you his plan's better than your plan his thoughts are better than your thoughts for your life this morning but if you're a believer we have a mandate to proclaim the word of god the hope of glory it's not an option we don't have an option in this so how are we going to begin this? We're going to begin this with, through our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We have three weeks, and there's three focuses that, again, are not just for this year, but this decade, but they're going to help us in this year. The first one is this, awaken the house. We're going to pray that God does something within us and in this house like never before. There's going to be spiritual fervency. There's going to be spiritual hunger. There's going to be spiritual zeal that we've never seen before to awaken us from slumber. Because our world, our city, our region demands of it. 
We're going to pray that God would awaken us. We're going to pray for a heart for the house. We have an incredible opportunity to not just sit here and be a sleeping giant, but we have an opportunity to impact our city and region and around the world like never before. We're going to ask God that we would have a heart for this place, for his dwelling. We're going to ask God to help us with be creative with ministries. We're going to pray for workers. We're going to pray for resources of time, of talent, of money. That we're going to have a heart for what God's doing in this place and in our lives and how we can be a part of it in greater measure. The third thing is going to be fill the house. And this is not self-seeking for any of us. But we believe that God can fill this place. It's a New Testament model. The church has got to grow. God's building it. He does the growth. But we're part of it. We're going to believe with simple faith that through these things, God's going to fill this house by Easter. The, greater, the days are going to be greater than the latter. We're going to believe God's going to do greater things through filling this house. And we're not just going to fill this house, become spiritually fat cats. We're going to become a mighty movement of the agent of kingdom of God to see it advance like never before. And that's where we're going. We got to understand the times that we live in. We got to seek God to ask us, give us discernment. And this isn't going to be easy. To seeing things happen in our lives and proclaim the hope of glory is going to come at a cost. It's not going to be an easy street here at Effingham Assembly for what God wants to do. It'd be easy as we partner with God, but it's not an easy street. When we want to see things happen in advance like never before, there's great cost. And let me tell you, people don't want to hear about the cost that it's going to take for something. I'm not throwing judgment, but we want to hear about your greatest life now, your life on easy street, 120 101 ways that God makes your life better, your best life now, your best dreams to come true, be the best you, on and on and on. And those aren't all bad things. But there are greater things of the kingdom of God than just being about us. Because this Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not to be contained within you and I. It's to be taken out to where we go. It's not just Paul's toil and struggle. It's just not your pastor's toil and struggle. It's not just your pastoral team's toil and struggle. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the volunteers. It's all of us, our toil and struggle to see this proclaim, to see the power of God through us like never before. So I want you to get ready. We're turning up the intensity, and we're believing the intensity of the Spirit the intensity of the power of God. I'm putting hell on notice that this place, business is not going to be as usual. This pulpit, hell's not seen yet what's going to come from this pulpit. Hell's not seen what's going to come from the inner workings of this church and what's going to happen in this place. The things of the Spirit are shifting. All things are on the table. To see God do his thing. To see a new thing happen, we got to go through new things. And we got to endure the new things. It can't be business as usual if we want things to change. And it's not going to be. 
It's not going to be for your family. It's not going to be for your business. It's not going to be for your finances. It's not going to be for your children, our city, our region. We can't afford to keep business as usual if we want to see the kingdom of God advance, if we want to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember the story of David and Goliath. David goes and meets Saul. Goliath is taunting. He's this giant dude taunting Israel for 40 days, morning and evening, taunting them. And Scripture says that Saul and all of Israel were afraid. The world wants us to get us afraid. And so Saul... Saul had some old way of thinking. He looked at David and said, you're a youth. You don't have that resume. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the years of experience yet to go out and be battle, to go, to go do this. You don't have this to be our leader yet. But David had something different. And, and that was what mattered. It wasn't matter. He was like Saul. God wasn't looking for another Saul. God was looking for a David to take the battle. God's not looking for the old to do it today. He's looking for newness in our lives. And then Saul wanted to put on his armor, the old ways. And David said, I can't battle that way. And it's nothing against what's happened in the past. It's God, God wants to do a new thing. The message doesn't change, but there's new things that happen. Again, we have to go through new things. We have to endure new things to get to where God wants to see us go. The children of Israel, remember them? And they're on this journey. Where do they want to go instead of the promised land? I'm going to go back. They want to go back to slavery. They want to go back to bondage. We had it better there. We had it better there. No, you didn't. You just had some rose-colored glasses. You didn't want to endure what God's taking you through to get to the new place, the promised land. God's taking us to the promised land. And we're going to endure. As your pastor, we're going to go there. We're going there. And I hope you're going to go with me. Because it's going to take all of us to get there. It's going to take all of us to reach Effingham and our state and our world. All of us. And it's going to take more of us. Jesus says the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. We've got to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send in his laborers. The Lord will build his house. The Lord will do his thing. Isaiah 43, 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God wants to do it, but we've got to be willing to pay the price. And are you willing to? Oh, what's awesome is, it's the Lord that empowers us. It's the Lord that works with us. As Paul says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of God that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For the slight momentarily affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transcendent, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As your pastor, I am looking at the things that are unseen 
seen. I'm looking at the lives that have yet to be saved. I'm looking at the city that's yet to be impacted. I'm looking at the nations of the world that are going to be impacted through this church, through our finances, and through mission trips, and through endeavors that we're going to see the kingdom of God advance. I'm not looking at the moment and the present reality. I'm looking at the future reality. I'm looking at the hope of glory that what God's going to do. Hope is confident expectation of what God's going to do and believing it as being so right here and right now. And that's what I'm believing. And we got to understand this. Who we're against. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and have it abundantly. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violent and the violent take it by force. This is an intense battle that's going to rage, that it's going to take. But you know what? It's not in and of us that we have to be reliant upon. It's the power of God. Jude 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of our apostle, Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last days, last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, the void of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying to the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And we use what God's given to us. 2 Corinthians 10.4 for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's dismantled the rulers and authorities and put them open to shame by triumphing over them in Him. We don't have to be worried about the devil and a, and a, a, a fact that he's going to destroy you. He's not going to. He has no power over you. You have Christ in you. Christ has dismantled those things. We just got to get up, get up off our feet, put on what we need to, the full armor of God, and get at it. That's all we got to do. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Church, let's not stand for business as usual. Let's do together what it's going to take to proclaim the hope of glory. Let's believe God for the greater things yet to be. That their greatest days are going to be greater than the latter days. And be willing to pay the price, not for us, but for those that have yet to be. Those that need Jesus. Those that need hope. Those that need uh, an opportunity to have life and life more abundantly. Let us not squander in these last days. Let us take a hold of what God wants to do. Let's proclaim the hope of glory. Let's be partakers in what God wants to do in this place. Let's not stay seated in our seats. Let's jump out of our seats. Let's get what we need to on and get into the streets, out of our seats. Let the kingdom of God advance in the violent Take it by force. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your power, God. We thank you, Lord, 
for this great year, this great decade we close out. But God, we thank you for the greater things yet to be, God, in this next year and this next decade. Lord, that we can be part of what you want to do, God. You want to see us be part to tear down the strongholds, Lord, to see the prisoners released, God, to see people snatched out of the fires of hell. I pray, God, this morning we would take up this challenge, God. We would take a hold of, God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We'd be willing to proclaim it, God, whatever it costs, God, whatever it's going to, whatever it takes to do it, God, that we would be part of this moment, God, part of the history, part of new things that you want to do in and through us and in this church. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.